0: Welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. I am your host, Isabel Ross, coach with Peak Endurance Coaching. Episode 44 is dedicated to a particularly important topic that can affect some runners, rhabdomyolysis, more commonly known as rhabdo. It is a condition caused by damage to skeletal muscle. In sports, the muscle damage happens with excessively strenuous exercise, but it can also be caused by crushing injuries to the body, some medications, toxins or infections. When the muscle is damaged, potentially toxic contents within the muscle cells creatine phosphokinase or CPK, myoglobin, potassium, phosphate and uric acid are released into the bloodstream. In smaller minds, the body is typically capable of filtering and clearing these toxins. If the injury is severe enough to cause a massive release of these toxins, the body may be unable to adequately clear them. These toxins can cause irregular heartbeats, kidney damage, and in severe cases, death. Signs and symptoms of rhabdo include, there's a classic triad, which is muscle pain, muscle weakness, and dark-coloured urine. Other symptoms would be decreased urination, fever, malaise, which is <clears throat> just generally not feeling well, nausea or vomiting and confusion and or agitation. My friend, Nicole Q, came down with severe rhabdo following her participation in the 24-hour World Championships in France in 2019. This is her story. Hi, Nicole, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast.
1: Hi, Izzy. Thanks for having me.
0: No worries. Now, could you just um, tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got into running and how you got into 24-hour track racing as well?
1: Okay. Well, I started running uh, later in life than probably a lot of people do. I think I was in my late 30s when I took up running. Uh, The main reason for that was I eventually gave up smoking, so I had been a smoker on and off for um, a number of years and I gave up smoking and my number one excuse for not being a runner was that I couldn't run because it was pretty hard to breathe when you're a smoker yeah but I was always gym fit and so I thought well I'm not smoking anymore I would like to be able to run three times a week for about half an hour Um, so that was the goal I did the couch to 5k program on my treadmill and uh, got to where I could run 5Ks three times a week and then it just sort of grew from there. I did, you know, my first fun run was the um, the Suzanne 10K fun run back in uh, oh, yes. a long time ago. Mm-hmm.
0: And
1: then, you know, the next year I thought, oh, well, if I can do 10Ks, maybe I could do a half marathon, did a half marathon and thought, oh, well, if I can do a half marathon, maybe I'll be able to do a marathon and yeah just progressed from there so so that's how I got into running um your other question how did I get into 24-hour running well that was not deliberate um (laughs) and yeah why would it be (laughs) exactly does anyone (laughs) actually decide that's what they're going to do when they start running um I don't think so, so no that's right so I was actually probably more doing once I got into ultras, I did my first 50k a couple of years after a marathon, I, and I did it at the uh, the Yu Yangs, so the oh, next, yep. uh, was my sort of my first trail run was the 30k, and then the next year I went back and did the 50k. Then the next year I went back and did the 80k and then I oh. did, did the inaugural 100 miler um, Wow, I see I see a bit of a pattern here, yeah yeah, so um. But at the time, when I did my first 24-hour, I was actually training for what was then called the North Face. And oh, nice. my um, partner, my now husband, was uh, training for the Coburg 24-hour. And he, uh, he was hoping to do Coburg, hoping to run far enough to get a qualifier to do Coast to Cozzy. Um, and I remember saying to him, why on earth would you want to run around a track for 24 hours (laughs) when there's so many beautiful trails out there to run? Um, But there was a method to his madness. He wanted to get this qualifier. So he did a, uh, he was planning to do a six-hour track training run at our local track, and I went uh, to be his crew because I was going to crew the 24-hour. Neither of us had ever been to a 24-hour. We didn't know anything about it. So we set up on the side of this track for this six-hour training run and he got about 30 minutes in and I thought this is literally the most boring thing I've ever done, watching (laughs) someone run run around a track. So I joined him on the track and I ended up doing five and a half hours of running around this track with him. And then I said to him, I think I might enter because I don't think I could actually sit and watch you run around the track for 24 hours. So I entered Coburg and at the time it was, um, sold out, like, you know, it was fully, fully booked. So I had to go on a waiting list. And, uh, so I was still training for the North Face, which I think was the next month. And, um, about 10 days before Coburg, I got a a phone call to say, if you still want to run it, you can. So, um, I accepted. And then my, um, husband Greg said to me well you know what am I going to do for a crew and I said well that's okay I'll run but I'll just jump off the track every time you need something <laughs> <grab it laughs> for you oh my God. So, anyway that's that's what we did so I was sort of thinking oh you know if I could do about 150 kilometers that would be great and Greg was aiming for about 180 I think and anyway um, to cut a long story short I ended up with 186 kilometers and he ended up with 152, I think. Oh wow. And, there you go. and that was with me jumping off the track, still getting Jeez. stuff. So um, and it was nowhere near as boring as I thought it would be. And um, and there's I something can, quite hypnotic about it, isn't there? There is. I think if you can if you can get into that zone,
0: um yep.
1: And I ran, I did this run, walk right from the word go. So I yeah, so minutes, important. Walk yeah. two minutes. Um, and what I found afterwards was that my last hour, I was running at the same pace as I'd run in the first hour. Wow, but what an achievement. The, inter- the really interesting thing, because it was the Australian Championships the, the first year I ran it. And I remember at midnight, I was like dead last, last yeah. out of all the women by a lot, like by about 30 laps. And I thought, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. And then throughout the night, like everyone just fell Dropped apart. Back or they, yeah. You know, they went to bed and I just kept going and going and going. And then, you know, by six o'clock in the morning, I'd moved up to fourth. And then wow. um, I think I ended up, I think that that year I might have come third. Um, with no expectations whatsoever, just doing it because I sort of thought that it was going to be a bit boring to sit on the side of the track for 24 hours. So, so you hadn't even
0: trained specifically for it? No,
1: no, not other than that five and a half hour that I did on the track. Yeah. My training was all geared towards the, the 100k at the North Face. North so, yeah, so that's that. That's
0: pretty. That's a pretty um, amazing way of getting into that. So just just as an aside, did Greg um, qualify for um, Costa Cosy? No, he didn't. Oh. And
1: um, and but you I, did. I ended up qualifying <laughs> and running Costa Cosy a few years later, and it's a bit of a running joke that I started yeah, his race. You um, did, and yeah. So and again, had never ever thought of doing Coast to Cozzy. It wasn't on my bucket list of runs to do. Um, Isn't that funny? Yes. Yeah, so the way I, life works out. Absolutely. And uh, so I can I can probably credit him to the 24-hour running and also to Coast to Cozzy because I loved it. The year I did it, I just loved it. And um, it was just an amazing race to be a part of. And as you know, it's yeah, not so on hard. anymore. I oh, know, sadly. So yeah. I feel very privileged to have had the opportunity to be involved in it.
0: Did Greg ever get to run it?
1: No, he got to be oh. my um, chief crewman. Well, that's he's almost as good. Almost as good. And he was—he's amazing. Like he—he um, he was running ultras before I was, before I met yeah. him. But he has um, just embraced the adventures that we've gone on when I've been doing the races that I've done. Yeah. And he's just so so in stark contrast to me saying that I didn't think I could sit on the side of the track for 24 hours he not only sits and 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 does my crewing but he absolutely loves it as well so oh good um, on him shout out to Greg yeah so and you know as you know is he like you can't run these big races without having good crew no no it's it is a team effort even though it's just one person out there running
0: totally i completely agree so no um you've done so well at um 24-hour track racing that you've actually represented australia
1: yes i have i've been again very very fortunate to represent a couple of well um once at the asian oceanic champion 24-hour championships and twice at the the world 24-hour championships so again very fortunate
0: that's brilliant and um how how have you gone at those ones
1: um, well, a bit of a mixed bag. The Asian championships was, it was incredibly hot. They yep. were in, um, I think it was 2006 towards the end of 2016. So we were, uh, the team was sort of instructed to not go out too hard. We were doing it as a, uh, I guess a training run for the worlds so that was six oh, months okay. later. And yep. so because of the heat and the humidity, I don't think it got under 30 degrees for the entire race. Oh, how um, horrible. Yeah, so we were instructed to just take it easy. Um, So it was definitely tough conditions. Um, And I didn't do a PB there. I think I ended up with about 205 kilometres, which gives me- Still an awesome number. Yeah, the conditions was, um, I was happy with that. Um, And then the following year in 2017, I uh, was my first Worlds at Belfast Yep. And it was, um, it was an amazing race. I, um, I got a PB there um, and I had it, one of those races where, you know, not much went wrong. Um, it was just an awesome experience to be, you know, yeah. over there running with uh, so many people that you've read about, you know, a lot of the American runners and yeah. British runners and um, such a great atmosphere. Uh, and being part of the Australian team, like we, we you know, there's so much camaraderie. Um, so that, so Belfast was fantastic, um, and then I did. I just recently, six months ago, did the worlds in France in Albi, um, yep. and it was a completely different race again. So yeah, so it's been a mixed bag,
0: <laughs> and and that's the way ultra running is. I mean, because we don't get to race that often. It doesn't always happen that our best running day coincides with race day.
1: Yeah, and that's right. I guess, you know, I'm, I'm probably not someone that races a lot. I usually will only do one race a year. Um, yeah. And that's just due to my life and we live, a, you know, we live in regional Victoria so we're three or four hours from Melbourne. So to get to races, you know, we can't just go and do a race on a day. We, it's, yes. it's usually a weekend and the kids all have, you know, I've got three kids my husband has three kids. So oh, wow. we, between us we've got the six kids, the Brady Bunch. And, yes. You know, they've got a lot of sporting commitments themselves. So for me, I just usually do one race a year and I'm happy to just train um, down here the rest of the time. So I have been really, really lucky in that I've never actually had a race where anything's gone majorly wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Albie for me was that race where things didn't didn't go to plan. Um, And I guess, you know, maybe it's not that hard to run in a race when things are going right. It's what you do when you're in a race and things aren't going right, but um, how you adapt and how you change things, um, where you learn, you know, I guess what you're made of in a way, don't you? Yeah. And look, and and this race in Albie is the one that we're really wanting to focus on
0: because you actually became quite ill following on from the race. Mm. So, um, and you ended up with Rabdo, which we will get to. Um, but first of all, let's start. How were you feeling before the race? Would, did you have any indication that you might not be 100% or that things might go awry?
1: No, none at all. Um, you know, leading into the race, you know, we'd travelled over there a couple of weeks before the race. Um, yeah. And so I'd had a really good taper. I'd had a um, a fantastic training period leading up to the race. And, you know, upon reflection with the training that I'd done, there was, uh, I'd done hundreds of kilometres extra in training than I'd done leading into the Belfast Worlds. I'd done, you know, X amount of extra 50-kilometre runs. There was I was ticking a lot of boxes in terms of distance and consistency. Yep. Uh, yep. I actually, I'd, I'd followed a program um, where there was quite a bit of uh, speed work involved, and I historically avoid speed work at all costs. <laughs> Um, but you know, the goal was to strengthen my legs and, and so, um, you know, I, I committed to doing the speed work as, um, and ran out of excuses to not do it. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, um, I was doing yoga, I was, um, doing Pilates and working on my core, um, with a myotherapist. So I felt like I was ticking a lot of, boxes leading so you're feeling
0: strong and ready
1: yeah I think so um and you know I mean you can't go into those races without some sort of niggle and I had had a an issue that just came out of the blue um I think now looking back it was plantar fasciitis um, and I never had any issues with my feet before so um I did back the kilometres off leading in, you know, the month leading into the race, but my coach was pretty um, happy with what I'd done and he was like, you know, you'll just have a really good taper. So my focus going in, I guess, was around what's going to happen with this heel, like how much pain yeah. am I going to be in and am I going to be able to keep going? Um, but other than that, I felt, you know, really good. So did the heel bother you during the race? Well, <laughs> all that. Uh, the funny thing, well, it did. It, it sort of started to hurt at about two hours in. Yeah. But,
0: but <laughs> only twenty-two hours to go.
1: Yeah, and I didn't think that. But it <laughs> sort of get it didn't get any worse. And then because a lot of other things started to happen, the funny thing was that by the end of the race, everything else was hurting probably, but that heel. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, or, every, or everything else was hurting so much you couldn't feel yes. the heel. You know, and I, I had thought about that. I thought, you know, the good thing with an ultra is something will start hurting. But, you know, two hours later, something else will hurt more and you just <laughs> focus on it. Yeah. So um, and after the race as well, I think I actually sent an email to my coach and said to him, everything is hurting except the heel at the moment. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So what so during the race, what what started to go wrong for you?
1: What was what were you feeling? <clears throat> Um, So, about five hours in, I remember um, I I sort of came up alongside Nikki Wind, who was on the team as well, and I said to her, you know, we were just chatting for um, a little while, and I said to her that I was having this pain in my quads that I had never experienced before, and she said that she was having some quad pain too, so I didn't really sort of think too much about it but the first sign that something was going wrong was with this unusual quad pain um yeah so as the race progressed the po- the quad pain just became more and more significant um
0: but, so was it like a cramping pain or a sharp pain What sort no of pain it was
1: just it? it was like a um you know An like a, a real ache almost like you've sort of blown your quads on a downhill run uh, you know, okay yeah too hard um and it changed as it was a very windy course like it, mm. it just had all these it was flat there was no no elevation but it was just twisty and, and turning so you know as the as you saw, and then there was a lot of runners on the track too so even when you weren't going around corners you were often ducking and weaving in amongst mm. slower runners um So, you know, as the race progressed, all of that changing direction started to make the quads a lot – well, that's what I thought it was, making the quads a a lot sorer. But, you know, you've been at a 24-hour event. There's so much um, carnage is the word that I think of with what's going on with the runners around you that, you know, there's people – laying on the side of the track there's people vomiting there's people in all sorts of distress and so you know I was running along thinking oh well you've got sore quads but um you know you're not get
0: over it basically
1: yeah pretty pretty much you know you're not as bad as as this person here who's lying on the side of the track um so so that was the that was the main problem um yeah and and probably by halfway so six hours in, I had these sore quads, but I was running, very, you know, quite well, felt comfortable. Um, by 12 hours in, I knew that I'd had to work harder in that second six hours than I should have had to have worked to. Have oh, okay. So I was at the distance that I wanted to be at, at 12 hours, but I knew that I'd exerted to, more energy than I should have to get to that point in that second six hours, um, mm. And I knew that the pain in the cords was going to be an issue.
0: Yeah. And and you probably felt that you wouldn't be able to sustain such an effort that was more than you expected for another 12 hours. Yeah,
1: yeah. So yeah. I made the decision yeah. to back off in the third lot of six, you know, the, from midnight until 6am yep. or whatever the third block of six hours was um, because I knew that if I was to try and push to get, you know, the next Six hours done in that same way, that then the wheels would be falling off. Because it really, I mean, the thing with the twenty-four hour run is it's getting to about eighteen hours with as uh, exerting as little effort as possible in as best condition yeah. as you can be at for that final six hours. Um, yeah. And the you know the thing at the World Championships is that people just go out so fast and so hard, and you really have to make sure that you stay conservative because if you are to follow everyone else's lead you're going to blow yourself up you know and that's what happens there's just so many amazing runners there that are all competing against one another and a lot of them are pushing harder than they need to be in the early hours of the race and then things sort of fall apart as the race progresses
0: so you do see people falling apart from um, yeah. overexerting at the start. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And I guess the thing is, for those those front runners, for the people that are really pushing to get the big totals, you sort of have to push a little bit hard because sometimes it's going to pay off and sometimes it's not. So I sort of I understand why the um, the front runners do that, and you know, to kind
0: you know, of um stamp their authority or to just build up some
1: k's quickly well i think the thing is if you are going to get a pb or you're going to um you know run and run really well and get a big total you do have to take a little bit of a risk probably yes um, i mean i'm talking about the the very pointy end runners that are doing you know 270 oh, to 270 imagine. type kilometers um, yeah. or even more They're not going to get that by being, you know, um, super conservative at the start. They do have to probably push um, to a certain degree. It's just getting the formula right, that you don't push too hard.
0: Yeah, yep. So, okay, so you're heading into the um, third six-hour block and and you know that you're having to pull back. What what happens from there? Um, So,
1: basically, I just started getting slower. Um, I started. I, I started to get very nauseous, which is quite unusual for me. I don't usually yeah. experience too many stomach issues. Um, I'm a two gel an hour girl. That's all I do: yeah. rinse, repeat, and it just usually works for me. Um, I started to get very nauseous, and um, I found that, you know, I. I guess towards, even into that last six hour block, I wasn't really, I wouldn't say that I wasn't with it, but I wasn't really myself. Um, yeah. I stopped, like I, I listened to music. I love that usually motivates me. That was annoying me. So I turned that off. Nah. Um, and I guess nah. now in hindsight, the biggest uh, issue that that we didn't really pay attention to was that I wasn't going to the toilet so I only peed once it for, for the entire 24 hours oh wow
0: okay in the race, yep. and that
1: was in the first six hour block so um I remember going to the toilet in the last six hour block but not really being able to um to do anything um okay and so the but I was drinking you know I was drinking the according to my nutrition plan and I was actually drinking extra because I was also picking drinks up from the communal drink table which I don't usually do either so I was quite thirsty and I was so you were
0: drinking a lot you were getting your drinking done okay wow
1: but I wasn't you know going to the toilet which I just sort of thought there was two thoughts one was thank goodness because at Belfast I had the opposite where I was just every lap having this urge to go to the toilet and going and there was, you know, just a, a trickle there. Um, oh, how
0: annoying.
1: And that, but then you'd start running again and come around 15 minutes later and it's like, oh, I need to go again.
0: So mm.
1: I was quite relieved that I wasn't having that issue um, and it had been a little bit warmer than we had expected so I just figured that I was drinking more because it was warmer, and that obviously my, you know, I was sweating more, and my body needed it. So that, you know, I was getting the balance of fluid in, right, yeah. because I wasn't needing to go to the toilet. Um, but that was the biggest sign post race that there was an issue, um, but we just didn't pick on it, pick up on it during the race.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: All right. So um, you managed to get to the end of the race, obviously. What were your kilometres? So I ended up with, um, it was about 200, it was 204, 205. Around oh, hang
0: there. on. Yep. Sorry. Right? I thought I thought you cut off. Yep. Oh,
1: so yep. it was about, it was just under, I think it was about 205 kilometres or just under. Um, and I... Got to In the end, I sort of thought to myself, just get to 200 kilometers and then you can walk. So, because yeah. in, in the last six hours, it actually got to the point where I was really struggling to weight bear, like to get any strength ah. on, like the, the quads just had no strength in them. Um, yeah. And I started to do a, especially around the corners. So I started to power walk around the corners and run the straight yep. and I actually found that I could do the laps quicker that way than if I tried to run oh, the okay and then yeah I found that I could power walk almost quicker than I could run because it was obviously not requiring as much strength through the quads um, that did eventually change as well and in the last hour, I was struggling to to even sort of walk with any great pace. But I just decided to get to two hundred kilometres, and then you can walk. Um, and I think I ended up walking the majority of the last hour, which um, yeah. you know, I obviously wasn't part of the plan at all. No, of course, I didn't want to stop either because it was the World Championships. So yes. Um, so, yeah, that, so I got to the end and, you know, obviously very disappointed because that wasn't the plan, um, but still not really aware that anything majorly was wrong and not able to work out what was going on with my legs. Um,
0: yeah.
1: I was, you know, we look back at photos now and I was this very grey colour with, you know, yeah. um, my eyes were quite sunken and, um so you, you could sort of see that I I wasn't really well. But as I said, there's so many people that have got so many different issues going on that, you know, we yeah. had other members of the team that had been vomiting, that had stomach oh, wow. issues that, yeah. you know, hadn't eaten for hours on end. Um, so, you know, it, I didn't on the surface appear to be any worse than anyone else was.
0: Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so you finished the race and I I, I gather you were probably disappointed with yeah. how it all went down. Mm. Um and then and then what happened?
1: So we um, we caught the bus back to where the team was staying, and you know, I was really unwell, vomiting on the bus. Yes. Um oh, God. really struggled to walk into the hotel. So sort of had people half <laughs> sort of assisting me anyway to getting yeah. Um and when you know went to bed um, to get a bit of sleep and then we went out to dinner that evening with the team um, yeah wasn't I wasn't really able to eat anything um, and the drinks were sort of making me feel quite nauseous and I remember yep. saying to our team coach that I hadn't weed since we'd, yeah. we'd Race, so you know the race finished at ten a.m. and um, oh wow, and we're out for dinner oh, and it's ten yeah. at night and I still hadn't gone to the toilet. And then I sort of started to think back and thought, God, I don't really reckon I went to the toilet much during the race. But you know, you, you sit with other ultra runners and everyone's sort of yeah, you know, I sometimes have trouble to you know go to the toilet. Yeah. The so it all normalizes itself. Um, so. I'd, and I just felt absolutely horrible. But, yeah. um, but, you know, you've just run 24 hours and you haven't had a great yeah. race. So kind of you expect not, to, yeah. Yeah, you're not going to feel fantastic. So we went uh, back to the hotel, went to bed, and, you know, that horrible night of sleep. Oh,
0: yeah, it's always horrible.
1: Sort of, you don't have because everything is aching. You're just, you know, oh, yeah. in agony. And I got up the next day. Um, And I just had these massive brown bruises all over the front of my quads. Like they never seemed like tea stained um, quads and they were really big, Um, you know, and obviously my legs were very, very sore. But again, I thought, well, you know, I've just done this race and my quads took a a trashing on the track. So they're going to be sore than usual. Um, again, I wasn't really able to eat at breakfast and (sighs) I, I had been to the toilet at that point and, um, you know, my, we didn't look fantastic, but, uh, you know, it's, I've done other runs where it isn't, the color isn't fantastic during the run. So didn't think too much about it. The bruising on the legs was probably um, a bit of a concern. I spoke to the team physio about that and he thought it might have been just due to um, like I'd got a few massages on my quads during the race. So he thought oh, maybe, okay,
0: yeah. it might have been of due to that. that.
1: Yep. Um, but there was just this, um, oh, just this horrible nausea that I had and, um, and just cramping and aches that I hadn't sort of really experienced at the end of a race before um, then I started to get blood noses and, um, and then I also had blocked ears. So oh. I these, all these sort of weird things going on that I hadn't experienced before. But, um, again, you just sort of go, wow, you've run 24 hours. You didn't have a great yeah. race. You haven't been able to yeah. eat or drink since. So you're not recovering the way you normally would. Um, you know, it'll just, it's just going to take a few extra days to get back yep. on track. Yep.
0: Yeah. So um, then you had to hop on the plane and come back to Australia.
1: Yes. So <laughs> that was like, um, oh, God, it was, I can remember sort of in being in the hotel room crying, just saying to Greg, oh, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this.
0: Mm, um, you poor thing. So
1: we, um, you know, we got on the plane and so it was 30 hours and I pretty much slept and vomited the whole way back. Oh. Um. So I would sleep, and then they'd bring food out, and I would smell it, and I'd wake up, and I'd just, you know, it was almost like a morning sickness type thing where I was. Oh wow! I um, tried to drink, and every time I drank, I it just I vomited. Um, so it was very good to get back to Melbourne, and then we had a four hour um, drive home. So of course you happened. did. Yeah, yes, happened in the car, just super nauseous and. Um, and vomiting and just tired, you know, because I really really hadn't been able to get much in since the race. Yeah. Finished. I'd had one meal the night before we left. Um, oh, my God. One of the Your poor members, body. Well, one of the team members had given me um, like a, a travel sickness uh, anti-nausea type tablet, which settled the nausea for long enough to have something to eat. So I ate this massive pizza, which was great. But then, you know, once the nausea came back, sort of was back vomiting again. So, um, yeah, so got back to where we live um, on the Thursday and then basically Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I slept pretty much, I would say, 22 hours out of 24. So I would wake up, talk to the kids for 15 minutes and then I'd just be back asleep for another three hours and, um You know, I was taking ginger tablets for the nausea and the pain in the quads was getting worse. It wasn't getting better. It was actually worse. Um, But it's funny how you sort of just, um, you can...
0: Rationalise it.
1: Yeah, that's exactly Mm. it. So uh, one of the team members and her husband had wound up with a bout of gastro. So they were sending messages saying they had gastro. So I was putting, I thought, well, obviously I've got what they've got, but I've just, yep. I'm just, it's not gastro, it's just nausea. And then all of the sleeping, I just assumed it was a really bad case of jet lag because my body. Yeah, of course. Eating. So yep. I was sort of going, okay, the quads are sore because the race was, you know, um, they were sore in the race. The nausea from the bug that some of the other team members have got. And this, sleeping non-stop is just jet lag um yeah so um my husband wanted he sort of said to me on the sunday oh look we probably should take you to emergency and i said to him i just can't bear the thought of sitting in emergency for six hours waiting through and knowing that the doctors would go well you've just run 24 hours so what do you expect
0: yes of course yeah so
1: i went to the doctor on the monday i actually made an appointment with um one of the the GPs and they did say exactly what I just said you know run 24 hours Mm. hours. and I by that stage had convinced myself that I was probably low in iron so they took a uh, a blood test for the iron and sent me home and on the Tuesday I got this phone call first thing in the morning and the clinic's oh yes you know you need to come in and I said oh okay you know I'll come in a bit later they're like no you need to come in now um (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay, well, they must be going to give me an iron transfusion or something. So I go in and it was like a, an express pass. You know, I, when I got there, they said, she's here. You can go straight in. And I'm thinking, oh, this is okay. And then I get in there and the doctor said, um, you're, you're in acute renal failure.
0: Oh, my if, God.
1: Your kidneys have stopped working. They're, they're not working at all. Oh, um, my God. And you need to go to the hospital straight away. You know, this is why you're feeling the way that you're feeling. Um, so I said, oh, well, am I just duck home? And then she's like, no. You <laughs> oh, emergency call duck yeah. home. Come on. <laughs> so I was thinking, you know, I could just get organised. Um And I wasn't really – I had started to feel a little bit better at this point, so I wasn't really really stressing as much. And they said, you know, emergency, we've rung emergency, they're expecting you, you need to go straight there. So I went up to emergency. Again, it was like an express pass. I just sat down, they said, come straight through. Um, And they put me straight on a drip and then started taking all sorts of blood tests, had to go down to – x-ray radiology for um ultrasound of the kidneys um and i'm ringing the kids going oh look i'm just at the hospital don't stress they're just going to give me a bag of fluids and i'll be home thinking you know (laughs) obviously they just need to I'm, i'm just dehydrated um so anyway they're like no you're not going home you're gonna have to be admitted um so you know i I, I, again, I don't think I re- – I didn't really have any idea of how serious it was um, yeah. until I was in ICU. So they admitted me and took me straight to ICU. And I'm hooked up to monitors. Um, so what I know now is that um, there was a real risk that my heart would just stop. Um, so even though the kidneys were not working, um one of the complications can be cardiac arrhythmias, and the oh, okay, so they were worried because, um, because it had been nine days since the race, there was sort of nine days of damage. Um, yes, yep, and yep. so, yeah, so I found myself, um, in ICU and frantically googling rhabdo to find out what the, what the hell was wrong with me, yeah. And so
0: how long were you in ICU for?
1: So I was in ICU for five days um, mm. and, you know, it, I I'd had started to feel better, but the kidney specialist said to me, oh, there's a reason they call end-stage kidney failure the walking dead because he said people are walking around with no idea just how sick they actually are. Uh, okay. So um and that was a bit frightening you know they were sort of saying like if this fluid treatment doesn't work you're going to have to go on dialysis and you'll probably go oh. dialysis for the rest of your life and um so they had all these numbers that they would throw around so you know your kidney function was supposed to be 60 and mine was four um, oh. his creatine level was supposed to be 80 and mine was in the tens of thousands you know <laughs> so um, you know you'd learn very quickly like they're taking blood tests every couple of hours and coming back in mm. and the numbers weren't really changing they weren't getting worse but they weren't improving getting any
0: better yeah um,
1: because the kidneys had basically just you know they, they, what, what it, my understanding is that um, with the rhabdo, um, the muscles in my quads had started to break down and die and they mm. release protein a protein called myoglobin into the bloodstream and the kidneys can't process myoglobin. So when the myoglobin reaches the kidneys, it just starts to block them up. And uh, okay. sort of like um, when vegetables go into the sink and they, plot, they, they um, block the, the drain and then you pour water in and the water either only trickles through slightly or it doesn't trickle through at all. So that's sort of yeah. my understanding of what was going on. Um, so um, and then that was where all the nausea was coming from because all these toxins were floating around. Backing up. Yeah, so they had to just load me with all this fluid to try and get everything working. And so as soon as they started giving me bag after bag of fluid, um, I started to feel all of that nausea again and, and, and was oh, okay. quite unwell. So um, they pretty much wouldn't let me out of ICU until um, they started to see some improvement with the kidneys. Which took quite a few days, um, so yeah. So once I I, I was in uh, ICU for five days, and then another couple of weeks after that in hospital.
0: So you were in hospital for nearly three weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was so,
0: really quite serious.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I. So what what eventually happened was um, that the kidneys there's little filters in the kidneys and so they I think when the fluid goes through the, the kidneys direct some fluid um, back into the body to be used by the body and then some fluid goes um, out you know when you go to the toilet. Yes. Uh, what would happen when they took me off the um, the drip was that the kidneys wouldn't filter the fluid so um, I would take in, like, I'd drink three litres of fluid. They had to monitor how much yeah. I drank, but I would lose six to seven um, litres of fluid. Like oh, just, got it. You know, and, um, like, I can remember one night I was up seven times, you know, I'd wake up at 1, go to toilet, wake up at quarter past two, and huge quantities. So there was no way, the, the kidneys just didn't have the ability at that stage to send any fluid back into the body so even though I was drinking three litres, I was actually continuing to become dehydrated because I was losing too much fluid. Um, and and so three litres is normally a lot to drink. I mean, that's abs- a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Like they would, you know, come in, I, I just had to drink as much as I could. Oh, how then, horrible. So then they, because I would then lose all of this fluid, they would then put me back on the drip and I'd have more bags of fluid and everything would sort of equalise again. Um, and so then they take me off the fluids and the same thing would happen. So they really didn't want to let me go home until. No, fair enough. The kidneys could, um, until what I took in was equivalent to what I was losing. Um, yep. So yep. It,
0: um, and so then once you did manage to get home, how long were you on bed rest for?
1: Um, So, yeah, so pretty much like the race was at the end of October. November, most of November was sort of in hospital. And then it was probably another month after that. Um, So for most of of December, I just hung out at home on the couch and and just slept. So that was the other thing. I would have this massive fatigue all the time. Um, So I would just sleep. And they, they said to me that it was going to take probably 12 months before I would feel back to normal again. Oh, wow. Um, so I knew not to expect um, that I would get home and within a couple of weeks be okay. But the thing is, you know, when you run, like we all run and, and a lot yeah. of the listeners run, you're used to having a lot of energy. Like you'll be tired at the end of the day because you've been up early and done like a 20 or 30 kilometre training run. but um you're used to feeling strong you're used to feeling that's right yeah healthy and and just being able to go and having a lot of energy and you know I didn't have any of that like it I'd be sitting on the couch and think oh you know I should get up and get a drink and then I would think oh, I can't really be bothered so I just sort of lay there um so that lethargy hung around for a long time um and you know the pain like there, there was so much muscle wastage in my quads. Of course. I wasn't capable of even being able to really go for a walk to begin with because, you know, of the damage that had been done and continued to happen for that nine days afterwards. So I think yes, that one of the big problems was that it was such a long time from the race to when I actually got the treatment.
0: So a takeaway for everyone from this is if you're feeling something unusual that doesn't feel right... Just go to the doctor.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And you know, we normalise it as ultra runners. Yes. We normalize well, we're it. used
0: to suffering, aren't yeah,
1: we? Yeah, that's right. And and that I actually found when I was in hospital that I got quite upset. Like I would get very teary every time I thought of the race, partly because yes. of how much pain I was in. Um, but the thing that I got upset about was that you know the body is an amazing thing and it tries to tell us all the time yeah things aren't right and I was just overriding every message that it sent to me like and and just you know because that's what we do when we ultra runners it's like well you know you just push through the pain and you don't stop if it hurts because that's right no one would ever finish and so I found it quite upsetting that I had um, overridden all of these messages that I was getting to the point where I was now in a situation where, you know, I was going to be on possibly on dialysis forever with, you know, permanent kidney damage or, or even <clears throat> illness. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. And I think that it's knowing what's a normal pain versus what is unusual.
0: So, what would you do differently if you did that race again? At what point would you say enough's enough? Do you think?
1: Well, and that's that's the thing, isn't it? You're at the World Championships. You're not going there to pull out. Exactly. And it's a big decision to do that. And one of one of our team members did withdraw, you know, or did stop um, because she was having issues that were, you know, significant. And so she made that decision to stop. And and I was encouraging her to do that because I was saying to her when we were out on the track. It's not worth risking your life or permanent damage or injury um, just to finish this race. Like you know, we've we've got a we've got a long life to live. You know, yes. as much and all as we want to perform at our best, you don't want to do that at the risk of your own health. So, um,
0: but then you also,
1: by the same token,
0: you kind of think that'll never happen to you.
1: Ab- exactly, and I've never. This was the thing, like I'd never had a race go wrong. So for me, I kept running and thinking, well, this is your race. Everyone has a race where things don't go to plan. So, you know, now you just have to suck it up and push it yeah. Because you've been lucky enough to have these races that have all gone very well. So now yeah. you need to actually dig deep and push through it because this is what this is, this is the difference, you know, between. Being able to run when everything's going right versus being able to continue when things aren't going to plan. So, but, yeah. but to answer your question, I obviously am a lot more knowledgeable now about um, Rabdo, and I'm a yeah. lot more knowledgeable about the um, going, you know, how often we should be going to the toilet. And if you all of a sudden are not going to the toilet for hours on end, you've got an issue. Um, yeah, And, yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess I knew quite a bit about hypernatremia. I've always been very conscious of checking to make sure that my fingers aren't puffy, um, make sure that I'm not uh, drinking and, and um, you know, I, I don't take anti-inflammatories when I race because I know that that's one of the contributing factors for kidney issues and, and hypernatremia. So I knew all of yeah. that. But I didn't, and I'd heard of rhabdo, but I didn't really know a huge amount about it. Um, and, and maybe lots of other runners don't know a huge amount about it. I don't know.
0: Well, hopefully, um, no, they do. Because as uh, my listeners will now know, it can be really serious and, and cause a lot of damage. Now, I know you were concerned when you were in hospital that you might not be able to run again. Are yeah. you able to run again?
1: Yes, I am, and you know all of the medical experts will keep saying, "Well, you're not going to run again, are you?" And I'm like, "Oh, seriously? Yeah." And, and they don't the, know you. Exactly. Well, and you know, they. I guess I overheard the doctors discussing me when I the night I got admitted into ICU, and I heard one of them say, "Well, you know, if you're going to go and run 250 kilometers, what do you expect?
0: You know, that oh, was their really."
1: Thought. Um. And firstly, I wanted to say, well wasn't 250 kilometers and then i wanted to say you know <laughs> but you don't know all the people that i know and 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 it's normal any... for us exactly and people run further than this and they do it for days on end and um yeah so the medical profession you know they were basically saying to me you know a lot most of them were saying you shouldn't run um and a few of them were sort of saying well you know you'll be able to run again but you won't be able to run huge distances so um as I said I wasn't able to really even walk very far in the beginning just due to the issues with my quads um, so yeah. I, I had to start off um just going for a walk and then um run walking so I started with yeah. running for 30 seconds or jogging shuffling for 30 seconds and then walking for a few minutes and the pain was so bad that oh really Um, but we're stubborn, um, as I, so I persevered and so eventually got to, you know, in January, I was able to sort of run shuffle for half an hour and then I've just sort of built it up from there. So, um, you know, I'm back running, um, last month I was probably running five times a week for an hour each time. Um, yeah. This month, I'm sort of like, okay, well, we'll push it and I'll run a little bit further. And some days it's good, and other days it's really hard work. Like it hasn't got back to what it used to be. So it's
0: still hard work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like it's. Oh, no. I always use that term, you know, it's effortful rather than effortless. Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not allowed to, if I run any more than um, 21 kilometres, I have to have a blood test on the Friday. And a blood test oh, on one oh, wow. day. So they need to just monitor to see what my kidneys do when I actually run um, for a couple of hours. Uh, I noticed when I was running, um, if it's warm, I'm, I'm hopeless. Like I have to stop and have drinks um, all yep. the time. And I sweat. My sweat rate has increased. I never used to sweat a lot. So, so there's been changes, even though the kidneys okay. are functioning um, well. Uh, I guess there's a new baseline to what their normal is now compared to what it used to be. I I used to go do a 50K training run and take one gel with me and stop off at a bubble tap halfway through the run, have a drink and then keep going. Um, I never used to need to drink a lot. uh, So that's different now. Like I find that I get a lot thirstier when I'm running um, than I used to. But, you know, when I was in hospital, I just kept thinking, um, if I can just get back to running an hour a day with my friends, you know, I'll be happy with that. So yeah. um, it, it's amazing how you can shift and become grateful because we do take running for granted sometimes. Um, yeah. So I am just happy to be running and, um, and just be out in the fresh air and, and doing, you know, what we all love. And if that's all I can do from now on, well, you know, that's okay, I'll, I'll, I'll live with that. Because the alternative yeah. is that I might not
0: have been able to run at all. Well, yeah, that's true. And, and now that you can see that that could have been possible, I'm sure, yeah, every run is you're much more appreciative of. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Well, wow, what what a story. That is unbelievable <laughs> and, um, and quite frightening. But it also serves as a warning for people to really be on top of these things yeah. and, and to be on top of making sure that you're going to the toilet. I mean, it's not something that we always necessarily want to talk about, yep. but um, it's super important that, you know, even monitoring as part of your race strategy, how often you're going to the toilet.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I would definitely now, and I think Greg probably does on my race plan. Like, he always marks off every time he gives me a gel or a drink. Yeah. Um, and I'll say to him when I come around, oh, I went to the toilet on that lap. But it's usually because I'm trying to explain to him why that lap might have been 90 seconds longer than uh, Okay. Lap. Yep. Um, yeah, And so uh, if I, you know, if I were in that race environment again, I would be definitely monitoring how often I was going to the toilet and what was going on, yes. you know, what colour, you know, you expect a little bit of discolouration, um, but yeah, if you get that real sort of Coke coloured um, yep. urine, you you're, you're probably in a bit of strife
0: yeah all right well thank you so much for sharing your story with us i really appreciate that
1: that's okay
0: and um i hope that um you know the running becomes less effortful and mm. i would love to catch up for a run and ah oh, yeah you know
1: absolutely that's the great thing about running is is catching up with people and going for a run exactly isn't it? yeah yep. so hopefully as restrictions are- is that's what we will be able to do yeah that would be awesome thanks so much for having me Izzy. no
0: worries thanks a lot and have a great rest of your day bye. thanks bye. bye what a scary story right It would make sense after listening to this for everyone to stay on top of their hydration and urine output when racing. Nicole told me later that the doctors had said to her that if she had waited another 24 hours, she would very likely have died. That's really scary stuff. The doctors haven't been able to pinpoint anything specific that caused her rhabdo. The sports physician called it a perfect storm of small things that on their own were insignificant, but combined may have all contributed. For example, Nicole could have possibly picked up an infection or virus before the race. It was slightly warmer weather than expected. She may not have fully hydrated properly pre-race. The hard surface and twisty, windy nature of the course could have taken its toll on her quads. Having a hard massage on her quads during the race probably sped up the muscle breakdown and release of the myoglobin into the bloodstream. The muscle breakdown was already occurring and then rubbing the quads probably added to the trauma rather than relieving it. The flight home so soon, two days after the race, would also have accelerated the dehydration process as if she wasn't able to keep any fluids down and as we all know, flights are highly dehydrating anyway. There wasn't any one one thing that can be blamed. Other causes are if you've taken certain medications. So they did blood tests in hospital to rule this out but she hadn't taken anything during the race, so this wasn't a factor, and the blood tests ruled out medications completely as an issue. It can also often be under training or overexertion. but Nicole was fully prepared. It ticked all the boxes in training. This was her eighth 24-hour event, so she knew what she was doing, and her body and legs were used to the repetitive nature of a looped course. Nicole also had to have extensive testing with a sports cardiologist after her hospital admission to rule out any potential cardiac issues, either pre- or post-race. So it's all a bit of a mystery, but I guess it it goes to show that you can do all the right things in training and during the race, follow the same nutrition and hydration plan as you have multiple times, and things can still go wrong. So please just watch and be careful. Please support the podcast by going on over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review. Thanks so much. And a big thank you to Reggie K. who wrote, fantastic range of topics and guests. Love listening to these podcasts side on runs and appreciate the training tips, relaxed hosting style and knowledgeable guests and athletes fe- featured. Thank you also, Reggie K. for the five-star rating. It's greatly appreciated. If you're looking to get some coaching for the looming huge race season, which we know is going to come, uh, email me on isabel at peakendurancecoaching.com.au. Have a great week of training or weekend, whatever, whenever you're listening to this, and enjoy spending time in small groups. And remember, we are all in this together, and together we will get through this.